Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship pastor, and it's a joy to be able to bring the Word of God this morning and preach to you. As Lori said, we're in a series called Financial Fitness, The Heart Matters, where we all want to grow in our generosity so we can have more kingdom impact. And we know this always starts from a place of the heart. Today we're going to be talking specifically about how to be wise with your money. How to be wise with your money. So what better way than maybe to begin with a story of an unwise uh, account of money. And that was me when I was 20 years old. I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee for college, uh, Belmont University, and I worked at Domino's. If you uh, have any questions about Domino's, I was there for three years. I am your guy to ask about Domino's pizza. But I was there for three years, and we didn't at the time have a PNC bank in Nashville. So that was my bank that my family had, PNC, and we didn't have that in Nashville. So what I did when I got my paychecks was I just kind of put them in my dorm room uh, desk, right? First paycheck, second paycheck, third paycheck, fourth paycheck. And one day I got a huge wake-up call when I found out the ownership of Domino's went bankrupt. And as you can imagine, all of those paychecks were essentially trash, uh, the new ownership was willing to uh, kind of honor, I think was the word they used, the very last paycheck we received, which happened to be the smallest amount of all the paychecks. They honored the last paycheck, but here I was with about $1,000 of money written on checks that I could not actually put in my pocket. Now, as a 20-year-old, and when you're in college making seven fifty an hour at Domino's, that is like 130 hours of work that you are not getting anything for. Now, thankfully, my dad... Uh, who was very kind and generous, allowed me to make some of that back by doing projects around the house and kind of like re-earning that money by uh, keeping up with just different projects that needed to be done. And I actually need to just go ahead and say, my dad has been the biggest influence in me financially uh, in terms of what to do with my money, not just finances, but generosity as a whole. Uh, outside of the Bible, my dad has given me just the most uh, wisdom possible. And so I really have to, uh, all that I have, I really want to say is because of him. So that's one way not to be wise with your money. Cash your paychecks, people. If you get a paycheck, do what you can to cash your paycheck. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs this morning, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit to some different Proverbs. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law was a very specific set of things that God's people had to do to be right with God. He laid it out. And those of you who are black and white and want to know exactly what you're supposed to do, you probably find yourself often going back to the Mosaic Law. But for us, God has given us freedom in Christ. With the new covenant in Christ, there's some freedom with these things, but we need wisdom. We need to know how to live. And that's what Proverbs are. It's a roadmap for us to know how to be wise. And this morning, we're going to be talking specifically about how to be wise with your money. But let me just say, uh, over 2,000 verses in the Bible are about money or possessions, one out of every 10 passages in the New Testament is, and 25% of all of Jesus' teaching is on money and possessions. What if we preached about money once a month? I don't know if people here would like that, but that is the heart of Jesus. It was very important to him that we know what we're supposed to do with what he has entrusted to us. And Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous author and preacher, and he said this one time, the purpose of a lecture is that you leave with a full page of notes. The purpose of a motivational speech is that you leave with a full page of action steps. And the purpose of a Bible sermon is that you leave worshiping. And that is my hope uh, for you and me this morning. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we do want to have a posture of worship. 
God, we know a lot of this message will be practical, but God, we want it to go beyond that. We want it to go that our hearts are stirred to worship you, palms up. And so, God, would your spirit move this morning? Would your spirit convict? Would your word of God speak to us in powerful and mighty ways? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you know me, one of the things you might know about me is that I like to oversimplify things. I think it's super fun. And uh, so, for example, with your money, there's only three things that you can do with your money. Three things. And it's not a trick phrase. Uh, you can either save your money, you can give your money away, and what's the last one? Spend it. That's right. Or you can spend your money. We're going to be talking about how to be wise with your finances in those specific three area. So let's talk about wise with your saving. And let me just start by saying in this point that I am not a financial planner. I'm not going to give you this in crazy uh, detailed roadmap of how you're going to make and save the most money. That's not what I'm here to do. But I am going to give you a principle to help know about saving and how to be wise. We all know that saving is good. I don't think anyone here would argue that saving is a bad idea. Proverbs 21.5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If we're diligent and we plan ahead and we work hard, we're most likely to have more money or more wealth. And if you react and act hastily and hurriedly, you're more likely to be poor. It makes sense. So the question is, what does it mean to be diligent? And simply put, it means to have a plan and execute it. And so I just want to give you a few very practical, specific ways that would be wise and how to be wise with your saving. The first is we, we have something called short-term savings, mid-term savings, and long-term savings. Sometimes these are put in different categories, but for this morning, that's what we're going to do. Short-term savings, as Kyle shared last week when we interviewed him, that uh, Dave Ramsey says everybody should have at least $1,000 in an emergency fund. It's crucial. If you blow your tires coming to church, you don't want to go in debt to pay that off. It would be wise to have a short-term saving fund. Then you got a mid-term saving funds, things that you naturally are going to have to uh, repair and buy and get. Let's say replacing a roof on a house. A lot of this would be with your house. Or a water heater goes bad. These things, it's diligent to plan ahead and prepare for those things to happen. And lastly, you'd have long-term saving goals. This is where you would have investments and to plan for retirement. And we would all say it's wise to save up money now so you can survive and eat food later when you can't work, right? It's diligent. So that's a very just brief way to look at uh, saving, and it's good. But here's the question. How much? How much do you need to save? I'm not going to give you a number. I'm not going to tell you if it's $10 million, if it's $5 million, if it's $100,000, if it's $1,000. That's not what I'm here to do. But we have to ask how much? Because sometimes if we're not careful and we're not seeking God and we're not in his word, diligence can slowly move toward greed. Diligence, self-reliance, wanting more and more, and it can move toward greed. I want to read from Matthew 6, and this is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. You've probably heard this. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants us to focus on the kingdom of God and not on storing treasures here on earth. 
I think a great picture for us, an illustration, comes from the book and the movie The Hobbit. Now, I have recently just taken a huge dive into J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. I got them for Christmas, the, the movies, and I'm going back and I'm watching them all. I just finished the, the second Hobbit movie, so I only have one more movie left. But what you'll see up here is this is the leader of the dwarfs. The leader of the dwarfs, the rightful king, his name's Thorin Oakenshield. And man, he loves money and he loves greed. Or he doesn't love, well, he loves to be greedy. That's a better way to say it. And so Thorin Oakenshield is the rightful king. And you'll see here, if you've seen the movie, it gives this great hall and this great picture of all this gold that no one would even know what to do with. There's lots of biblical themes throughout these movies, and one of them for sure is the idea of greed. And it's actually what comes to Thorin's demise. Part of the reason, a major part of the reason, I would argue, of why he dies is because of his greediness. And the movie, as he's dying, he says this to Bilbo Baggins, farewell, master burglar. Go back to your books and your armchair. Plant your trees, watch them grow. If more people valued home above gold, this world would be a merrier place. I want you to think about that word home and rather than thinking about the Shire, for the fans out there, maybe your physical house, I want you to think about the kingdom of God. If more people valued the kingdom of God above earthly wealth and riches, this world would be a merrier place. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That is a perfect example of Thorin up here. He goes on to say, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's almost like at the end of the movie, Thorin's there, he's talking to Bilbo, and he realizes all that gold, none of it he can take with him. Not a piece. All he has left is whatever's in store for him in the next life. So how to be wise with your savings, my, my point for you this morning in this is to be diligent but not greedy. Is to be diligent to have a plan but not greedy. Proverbs 28, 25 says, The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. So let me ask you this morning, <clears throat> are you greedy? Do you crave for more and more of something? Are you holding on tightly? Maybe you don't have a palace of gold, but maybe there's something that totally has your eyes and your heart and you long for more and more of something that's not God. So how do we keep from being greedy? None of us want to be greedy, right? No, no one does. How do we keep from being greedy? And a, a great antidote for that is to be generous. King Thorin was not a generous person. No one wanted to be around him. He was not generous. But if we're generous and we give, that's a great antidote to being greedy. So I want to talk about being wise with your giving. In Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. One way to be wise with your giving is to give abundantly. I know that sounds very simple, but you want to be wise with your money and give abundantly. The proverb just says, when we give, we gain even more. 
sometimes money, but sometimes the fruit of the Spirit start manifesting itself more in our lives, and we get more. So give. Give abundantly to the church, to the poor. The first thing you do when you get your paycheck is you should set aside a tithe to give. In Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. If you want to see God move in powerful ways, and I think all of us do, we all want to see a powerful move of God, give more than you do now. Like, you can't outgive God. And I know some of us maybe are in really challenging financial decisions. There are other things we can give, right? Our time and, and our, our hearts to the Lord and our service. So I don't, this is not just money. There are other things that we can give back to God. So hear me on that. But I want you to also know you can't outgive God. And if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with a lot. The average evangelical, I read this in the past couple weeks, the average evangelical gives 2% back to the church. And I got to admit, I was a little disturbed by that number, not because I worked at a church, but because as a brother in Christ, although some of us maybe give to a bunch of other things, and if you do, you know, I'll take a step back, but for most of us, we think 98% of everything that we have is ours, that we can do whatever we want with. And that discourages me. For some of us, that 10% is a benchmark, right? We like that number. It's helpful. That's what God told us people in the Old Testament. And that 10% gives us something to kind of shoot for, including myself. I feel pretty good when I give 10%. <clears throat> the author, Randy Alcorn, says that's training wheels. In this book he has about treasures and where to store them, he talks about how 10% is, is training wheels for us to start with and then continue to trust God with more. But we know in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And there's freedom in Christ, right? We no longer are bound by some of those specific Old Testament Mosaic Law things. But I think if we're honest, we like to say, okay, good, I, I can give whatever I feel good about giving, but we never actually ask God what that amount is. We just kind of just give, maybe we just put a little bit in the offering, whatever makes us feel better. And that's not all of us, but I want to challenge you if you do that. The second way to be wise with your money is to ask God what to do with it. Ask God what to do with it. Maybe you've noticed this, if you're a Christian, that when you actually want to know something from God, when you seek God and you ask him, and then you listen, that's important, you got to shut up. You talk, we talk a lot, you got to talk, but then you got to listen, and you listen to God, he actually speaks back quite often. And I, I knew I needed to practice what I preach a bit, and so yesterday morning I was, I was praying over my sermon, and I remembered that I had a dream a while back about giving money to someone. And my flesh said, oh, that's just the burrito I ate last night. That's just whatever. That's nothing. But the Spirit was like, no, that was me telling you something, Brad. And so I prayed into it more. And it's been this kind of month-to-month -month journey of like, I think I need to help this person. But I don't know how. So I'm like, shoot, I got to ask God what, what I should do and what I should give. So I got on my knees yesterday. And I put my palms up because I find when I'm in this posture uh, of humility that I'm more able to hear from God. And so I, I do this. I'm ready to receive it, God. And in about 30 seconds, God told me exactly how much money I need to give to this person. I'm not saying God always works in that way, but it's crazy how when we actually ask God for something, how quickly he does sometimes respond. I, I want to bring you into what we're doing, the, the lawsons, because I value transparency. I value being honest and coming from an authentic place. So here's what my wife and I do. Uh, we currently give 
And to be honest, recently I've been a little convicted by that uh, because I don't know how much of a sacrifice that really is for us. I mean, we sacrifice a little bit to give to church. We have friends who go on these big vacations that maybe we don't get to go on, but it's not really that big of a sacrifice. And so God's been convicting me some as I've been studying for this message. And Emily and I, we don't want to be legalistic and we want to give cheerfully, but we also recognize if we don't ask God what to do with it, we're going to spend it on whatever makes us feel good. And so here, here's what God's been doing in our life. God has made it pretty clear through a financial class that we took that he wants us to tithe on all blessings. He wants us to tithe on blessings. So more than just uh, our, our normal paycheck, let's say our family uh, flies us down to Florida to go visit them and, and they pay for it. Well, that's a gift from God that we should tithe back. Or maybe it's a stimulus check or maybe it's even a gift card. Some of this we haven't worked completely out. But I'll tell you one area specifically that God convicted my heart, and that's as foster parents, we get a, a, a check from the state, a stipend for having a foster kid in our home. And make no mistake, that's not why we do it. <laughs> it's not why we do it. But it helps. And so we get that from the state. The state of Illinois has decided, hey, foster families, you deserve this. You need this. Kids are expensive. This can help. And I have viewed that. That's my money. I've earned that. The state says it's mine and I deserve it. And God recently has been convicting me of, that's a blessing. I could take it away. Illinois is in so much debt. Who knows how long that money is going to keep coming, right? I've blessed you with that money. Tithe on it. That's not yours. I can take it away. And man, God really convicted me in the past couple of weeks. I know I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but this phrase has really stood out to me as I've been preparing for this message. And again, it's because I want us to see it's a heart posture, not an action, although the action is involved. The, 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 the statement that's been in my head is this, the action of giving is the fruit of a transformed heart. The goal is a transformed heart, and the, the action is just the fruit of God actually changing us. I think that's important, especially those who like everything black and white and think that they can earn their way by doing things. The goal is a transformed heart. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You want to be punished? Be eager to be rich. You want to abound in blessings? Be faithful with what God has entrusted you. And I'm, I'm not saying your biggest motivation uh, to be generous and to give should be because God's going to give back to you. And we, of course, do not want to leak anything that, that spells out prosperity gospel as we preach on this. But I think it's very important that you know, if you give to God, if you step out in faith, if you're generous, God will bless you. That, that's a promise. God is going to bless you. Now, again, it might not look like more money. Sometimes it does. But it might not look like more money. But he will bless you. He will give you more peace and more patience, more kindness, more generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit that God wants to use to transform us. God will bless you if you give more. And you should know that. Now, I think, personally, the biggest reason, the biggest motivational factor for me, at least should be, maybe it isn't always, but at least should be, because God is generous to me. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear this with fresh ears, church. God loves you so much that he gave up his son to die for you. I'm a dad. I have a two-year-old son. I have a couple younger kids too, but I have a two-year-old son. 
I wouldn't give up him for any of you, right? I wouldn't want to give him up for all of you. And yet God, when we rebelled against him, he said, I'm going to give my only son to go and live a perfect life and die the death that you deserve as rebellious people so that you can have a relationship with me, so that you can have eternal life, so that you can be with me forever in a palace, in a kingdom one day, worshiping me where things are perfect. That's what God has done for you. And if you're here and you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it is the most important decision that you could ever be involved in making. And I, I want to pray for you right now. You could pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm undeserving. The only righteousness I have is standing in the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe you died for my sin and you rose from the dead. And I want to make you Lord of my life. And if you do that, God will come and he'll transform you and he will lead you in these new ways. That to me is such a motivation to want to give back to God because of what he's done for me. The last area that you can be, or that you can do with your money is spending. And I want to talk about how you can be wise with your spending. Proverbs 21, 20 says this, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all that he has. Did, did you hear what that just said? If you spend everything you make, the Bible just called you a fool. If you spend everything you make, the Bible just called you a fool. So one way to be wise with your spending is don't buy stuff that you can't afford. Right? Like, wow, what a novel idea. Don't buy stuff that you can't afford. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I can afford the monthly payment. And I just want to say this very clearly. If that monthly payment prevents you from being generous, you can't afford that thing. If whatever house or new car or whatever thing you need or just want, if that prevents you from being generous and giving back joyfully to God, you can't afford that thing. My wife and I bought a van, and we vowed to each other, thankfully not on the Bible, but we vowed to each other that we would never buy a van. I, I told Emily, I'm going to be that cool dad riding that awesome SUV with my kids. I'm not going to be the van dad. That's what I told her, and, and she was on board. She was on board. Then we got three kids in less than a year, and I said, we're getting a van, <laughs> right? We're getting a van, and I remember even telling Emily this, and she's like, what are you talking about? We're not getting a van. I'm like, no, I am laying down the law. We are getting a van. There's no discussion. We got to get a van. Because we had this little Kia Soul, which some people call like a lunchbox car. I'm like, we're not putting three car seats in a Kia Soul. Like, life's going to be hard enough. We need to make it as easy as possible. And so we had set money aside uh, to afford a van. We had cash, and we wanted to buy it outright. And just so you know, we're talking about financial freedom and wisdom and all these things. So I always have an exact amount that I know I'm willing to spend when I go to a dealership. I typically know the car I want, I know how much it's worth, I know what its competitors are, are where it's priced at, and I know what my car that I'm trading in is worth. Because these people, they're good, and they know how to get you, so you got to go in with a plan. So we went to a place in Elmhurst, and we went to Kia, and I have a little bit of a connection from a childhood friend there, and so we get there, and I know the car already that I want, right? And so we start talking to the sales guy about it, and then he's like, hey, have you seen the Kia Telluride? And I was like, um, I don't know. He's like, let me show it to you. And I saw it, and my jaw dropped, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
That is a good-looking car. All of a sudden, I'm envisioning this dad that I was expecting to be one day driving the Kia Telluride. I didn't know what it was at the time, but that's the car I was thinking about, right? Driving that Kia Telluride, and I've arrived. And he even said, well, I know you can't buy it cash, but we got three-year plans, we got five-year plans, put down a large chunk of money, and you can afford, I think it was like 31.8 or something, all these extra fees, it would have been like $70,000 probably, <laughs> probably like 35000 or 36, right? For, if Emily and I bought that car, we would not have the freedom to be generous like we are now, or like we try to be, right? Because we don't have it figured out, but like we try to be. We couldn't afford that car. The world tells you you can't afford it. We could not afford it. And there's other cultural pulls too, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge what these pulls are. For me, it was kind of this car idea. For other people, maybe it's a bigger house. I got a picture up here that just, it kind of shows what some people think of as the American dream, right? You've arrived. I know a lot of people, their view of the American dream is kind of continual promotions in their job. And you have a kid, and you buy a bigger house, and then you get a bigger house. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not at all. Don't hear that. In fact, if you own a Kia Telluride, I want to be your friend, and I want you to drive me somewhere. <laughs> it's, it, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. But we have to ask God, and we have to acknowledge that if we're not careful, and if we're not seeking in God's word and asking what he wants us to do, these cultural things and ideas are just going to pull us in certain directions. And so maybe for you it's not a bigger house. Maybe it's Starbucks or coffee. When my wife and I started budgeting, we were embarrassed at how much we spent on coffee. You know, craft beer these days is very expensive. There's all kind of different things we could just name on and on and on. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but the world's saying, if you have this, you're going to have fun. If you have this, you're going to be happy. Tim Keller has a quote that I just love. I spent so much time just reading this and dwelling on it. It says this, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. <clears throat> money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Another way to, to say it I came up with, with your money will flow without effort to whatever you worship. Your money is just naturally going to go to whatever it is that you worship. So go with me here. I'm imaginative. I like to put myself in situations and think through things. It's part of my personality. So imagine if you are with God and he is in your dining room. Don't get bogged down by what God looks like, okay? Just go with me here. You're, right, you're with God. You're at your dining room table and you put out your, your checkbook or whatever it is that you use to track your money, your, your, your uh, app on your phone or whatnot. But the point is it's all laid out and God's talking to you, what would God say that you worship? What would he say just clearly this indicates that you naturally love these things? For me, that was convicting. I thought about it, and I was a little embarrassed if I were to have that with God. And it's like we know God knows our bank account. We don't have to think about God sitting down with us at a table, but it helped put myself in a, in a posture of, wow, God, what really should I be doing with some of my money? There's a lot of different quotes. I think Dave Ramsey has one that's something like this. If you don't tell your money where to go, it's going to tell you where to go. Or if you don't tell your money where to go, it's going to like leave you in a ditch somewhere and go off on its own and just be spent. <clears throat> so I, I want to I share one point on how to be unwise with your money. And I know I'm simplifying this. And there's a lot of unique situations that we don't have time to talk about 
But in general, how to be unwise with your money is to go into debt. In Proverbs 22.7, the author, the writer, says, the borrower is slave to the lender. I know this idea, it might even be like offensive, but if you're in debt to something, you're kind of a slave to that thing. And I know many of us, right, have home mortgages and we could never even own a home without it. And I'm not saying that that's an unwise decision. I'm really trying to get out of uh, specifics here. But in general, whatever we owe money to, we're enslaved to in some sense. And God doesn't want that. He wants us to be freed up. Yeah, you can be generous when you're in debt. You can. Generosity is a spirit. You can have a generous heart and want to give back if you're in debt. But I will say it's harder. So if you're in debt... If you're in a bad spot this morning, I just want to give you three very practical steps, three things. It's said in Kane County, 27% of all families are in, are in debt, not counting uh, home mortgages. So if you're, if you're here and you're in debt, I want to share three, three things, very practical. <clears throat> the first is get everything out of the closet. So if you're, you have a spouse, you're married, you no longer have separate bank accounts. You know where everything's going, everything's out of the closet. You no longer take that cash and kind of just spend it wherever you want without noting where it's going to. Everything has to come out of the closet, and this is hard. My wife and I did this about six years ago. The same time we realized how much we spent on coffee, we were spending over $400 a month on groceries. We didn't even have kids. We didn't have kids, and we're spending $400 because we're going to the grocery store three times a week each. And it was, it was a humbling experience. But soon after that, we cut down to $200 a month just because we knew where our money was going. So get everything out of the closet. Get a budget. I know this ties in. Uh, we use YNAB, which is an acronym for You Need a Budget. Does that make sense in your mind? You need a budget. And we do, right? I, that's what Emily and I decided. We need a budget. And Dave Ramsey has one called like Every Dollar. We've used that too. They're both great. But find out where your money's going. And you start with, okay, here's how much I have. This is the money I make. This is all I got in the pot to kind of uh, divide up. And then you start with the most essential things, your mortgage, if you do have car payments or other debts, and you go down all the way to, you know, pleasures like, like food, going out to eat, coffee, those kind of things. Get a budget. Uh, the last thing is get accountability. And this is a step we like to, to, to move past. You would be very wise to get accountability. I need accountability. If I say, and kind of just casually like, hey, I kind of want to do this, and I don't have somebody asking me, am I doing that? I tend to not do it. I tend to want to just serve myself and do what feels good. I think this is where a lot of us go wrong, and this could look like different things. We have FPU. It's actually going on right now in room 105. I believe you can still get involved in FPU. What a great source of accountability to take that class. Maybe it's just from a spouse, and you guys have your own conversation of here's what we want to do. Maybe it's a pastor, whatever it looks like, but get accountability. Have some sense of, hey, if things don't go the way we want, we're not going to beat ourselves up, but we're going to talk about it, and we're going to acknowledge it and try to get better. And lastly, I don't have this on the screen at all, but as I was processing this morning, I was thinking about it, and the last thing I'd ask you to do is just to have faith. Like, and know that God sees you, and know that God hears you, I tell that to my wife sometimes. I just thought of that. Uh, I, and I'm probably unspiritualizing this moment, but sometimes she'll say something. I'm like, honey, I see you and I hear you. But know that God, he does. He sees you and he hears you and he, he knows your situation. You don't even have to tell him. And if you got in debt from months and years and years, you're probably not going to get out of it this morning. But know that if you take steps of obedience and you choose to want to have a generosity in your heart, 
palms up, like God's going to help you. He's going to help you get through that. We've got to have faith and trust God in some of these things. And, and for all of us, maybe this is kind of how I want to leave us, is we had that picture we saw earlier of Thorin, right? King Thorin, he's got this money in his hand, this gold. There it is. Thank you. And it's, you can just tell he's almost like playing with it, right? He's picking it up and dropping it. Here this morning, each of us probably has something that we do this to, to God. This is mine. You can't touch this. As Lori said, she feels like they're walking faithfully in so many areas of their life, but the one is just like their finances. They hold it tightly. I loved her honesty on that. What is it for you this morning that you're doing this to? You're holding tightly. Maybe it's causing some greed. Whatever that is, together as a church, as a body, let's let go of that. Let's surrender that, and let's trust God to provide for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I, I thank you for your grace. God, even preaching this morning, I don't deserve to preach. I think about how I've fallen short this week in my marriage, how I've fallen short this week as a father. And God, yet your grace is sufficient for me each and every day, and I just thank you for that. I pray that we would walk confidently knowing the blood of Christ has covered us, has given us a confidence to approach your throne of grace. And I thank you for that, God. I pray for each of us this morning, would we be more willing to have our fingers pried, of what, our pride out of whatever it is that we hold on to so tightly. God, would you reveal these things? And would you help us trust what you say and give us faith that even in our weakness, God, you're strong and you can help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you